this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I graduated the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you for listening. And this suggestion for the guest on today's episode comes from a previous guest and longtime friend, Owen Jones. And with me is Christine Hafen. She's been a captain, a chief mate on a drill ship, a DPO, which is a dynamic positioning off- operator, operator, officer. Which operator. one? Operator. 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 And uh, just thought it was a fascinating story. And then she's also going through a career transition. And I wanted to talk about that. I think that's probably something many people are facing at the moment. And with that, Christine, welcome. And thank you for making the time. Thanks so much for doing this. This is great. So how big is the ship? First, that's what I wanted to ask. And where were you operating? So there, I mean, there's, there's bigger ones and smaller ones, but I mean, generally they run about 800 to 850, 860 feet long and um, maybe a couple hundred feet width. They call that the beam, you know, 150 feet of beam. And um, so like you've seen tankers maybe that have like this flat deck and the what they call the house is sitting on the back end of the ship. You know, ours was going to have a big derrick in the middle of the ship with a moon pool in the middle, with a big giant hole in the middle of the ship, which, you know, we used to joke is, is never really a good idea, but it worked. Um, <laughs> derrick in the middle of the ship. And then the house where everybody slept and ate and all of that kind of stuff was up in front with a big helideck with kind of like a sun visor on it. And then, so there were many, 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 many levels, you know, and for decks, like just in the house, we'd have maybe 10 or 12, and then the derrick would be about 150 feet high, and then it would start like almost on level with the second highest deck of the ship, of the house. So they, they were huge. They were huge, big things. And then you have all the auxiliary systems that go into drilling and also propulsion and all of that all throughout the whole of the ship. So that, yeah, they're pretty big. They're cool. They're cool looking. And how far off sea or offshore were you operating? So most, well, a lot, uh, over 50% of where I've operated has probably been in the Gulf of Mexico. So I've been anywhere between like 60 miles offshore to over 200 miles offshore in water anywhere. When I started out, you know, we were drilling in water depths of like 4,000 feet and that was on a, an anchored drilling rig. It was actually self-propelled. It was a square one. And then the deepest one that I drilled was 11,000 feet, uh, right smack in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And then it's also taken me West Africa, Brazil, um, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, where else? And then shipyards in like Korea and Belfast, Ireland, which was super duper too much fun. Um, yeah, so I, I'm lucky I got to go all over the world doing this and meet all kinds of super, like, really cool people. Like, the Malaysians were probably my, I don't know if that's racist, the Malaysians were probably my favorite group of people to work with. They were super, they were really chill, extremely intelligent, and just guys that talked about their race cars and their wives and their kids and, you know, drove their little Ducatis around, you know, and that kind of stuff. They They were... They're all, everybody's once the same thing. They just go about it in different ways. And they, they were just a fun bunch to work with for sure. Well, I don't think that's racist. If they're from Malaysia, they're Malaysians. So yeah, that's... I mean, <laughs> they were my, that was my favorite place to work as far as people goes. They were, they were just a, a good group of guys. And who doesn't love a Ducati? <laughs> they, they love, they love their Italian racing stuff down nice. there for sure. So the, the, the ship is 860 feet long. And when you're drilling, yeah. what's the tolerance? So you're out in the middle of the ocean. What's the tolerance of, and I'm guessing we're dealing with waves and winds and storms. And what's the tolerance that you have to 
um, dynamically position the ship? How far can it range before you've got a big problem? So that's kind of all a function of the water depth and a percentage of the water depth, but also it, it used to be a hard and fast rule was at 5% of the water depth. If you had wandered out a linear distance of over 5%, you needed to disconnect from the seabed. And at two and a half percent of the water depth, you know, a linear distance on the surface, you would hit a yellow alert light to to alert the drillers that, hey man, we're, you know, every, you, you need to get your stuff spaced out is what they called it before we shear it off and, and go. So now, um, so how it works is uh, you have, your wind sensors are probably your most important sensors on in this system because the naval architects and their super smart people have figured out that on on each of these ships there's a model wind model and and depending on what direction relative to the bow it's coming from and how fast the wind is blowing towards that direction um the thrusters must put so many so much tons of thrust in that direction and then okay so it does that and it's like well i'm still not exactly where i want to be so over the course of time i i'd say it learns but that would think you would think that that would mean ai but it's totally not it just it it's got these what they call a kalman filter and it it runs and runs and runs and runs and figures it out okay so now i've got the wind coming from here and i must thrust that much to overcome the wind and then i've got all this other stuff so it combines all these forces and thrust in that direction um and so when you say tolerance it all depends now it's it's a lot more sophisticated although the hard and fast rule of two and a half and five degrees isn't a bad rule um depends on which way the the environment's coming from, which includes waves, current, uh, you know, bad thruster force calibrations, all of that kind of stuff, and then also wind. So now you literally have the system, the, the, the DP system telling you, okay, from here, if we're going to drift this way and you have this many minutes and seconds to get this distance and it's continuously updating depending on what the environment's doing. So <clears throat> keep, for simplicity's sake, we'll keep it two and a half and five percent is is generally about what it's at. But if if it's blowing like forty knots, you have infinitely less time if something bad happened to the propulsion system or the positioning system to hit the red button so that they have time to do all the stuff they need to do to disconnect. So it, it's weather, environment, and all of that dependent. But generally speaking, two and a half to three or to five degrees. It's a long explanation. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I'm, I'm fascinated by this because uh, you know, I've seen um, some footage of drilling rigs and things like that. But, and I've also seen just violence of the ocean and documentaries and films and other things like that. And just could not imagine trying to do precision work on a, ocean that's moving and a vessel that's moving and the the drill rig is moving so it's that's i'm just blown away that that's even a thing well i mean remember that like the shallowest well that i've drilled it that i've been on a rig that is drilled maybe 3500 to 4000 feet and that's almost a mile not almost but you know i mean so at we, what we would consider a, a mile of sea depth, you know, that's still a mile of sea depth. So there's actually a lot of, a lot of flexibility in that, what we call the riser pipe. And I won't, unless you want to, I'll go, I'll talk a little bit about the drilling process, which, cause it's fascinating. If I had to do it all over, over again, I'd be a drilling geologist. But um, so that it, it's not totally rigid you know what i mean it moves and there's like a ball joint at the bottom and a ball joint at the top so it kind of you know swivels around in there just like your shoulder does and um so that gives you a little leeway although you can really mess some stuff up if you're not paying attention because sometimes there's sub sea currents that come at it and you're, and you're hitting the middle of the the riser pipe that's connected to the seabed or connected to the blowout preventers which is connected to the seabed and that could kind of bow it out 
you know what I mean? So you can't feel it up on the top. You can, they'll see it down. They, they inspect that riser once every other day, usually with these little mini, uh, not mini, but you know, these little uh, remote controlled op these remote controlled operated vehicles, you know, these at Oceaneering or companies like that run. Um, you can really screw some stuff up if you let that bow or that flex joint angle that we call get too high. And so we basically have a, a well-specific operating criteria paper, you know, which is an agreement that the client and the drilling company, the client being the oil company and the drilling company agreed to that this is how we're going to operate. So there's, you know, there's green status, you know, where this is, this is what everything has to be better than to maintain a green status. There's yellow status. This is where we hit a yellow light, you know, where everybody's got to, the driller's got to space out, everybody's got to be on alert. And then this is red criteria. So that involves flex joint angle, weather, propulsion system, uh, redundancy, power redundancy. Everything's diesel electric on there. So these big old thrusters are electrically powered. Um, all reference sensors, wind sensors, you know, and, and gyros and all gyro compasses and all of that. So they make, they smartly spell it out in black and white. They don't all, it's not, all of them aren't as good as that as some others, but you know, you have this piece of paper posted where everybody can see in the driller's cabin and up on the bridge and nobody questions you if you hit a yellow button, as long as you adhere to the well-specific operating criteria. So flex joint goes into that. That's a, that's basically what why we're doing what we're doing is to keep the flex joint angle down and it's kind of up to us to manage that too you know to keep that that ball joint from bowling over too much so yeah it's pretty cool it that sounds amazing. amazing yeah it's pretty cool so the ship despite its size does it have a personality when it's sailing and you're operating so you've got it sounds like just an amazing amount of data from the controls and the targeting system and the positioning, but can you feel what it's doing? Is there an element to that? Not that you're not following procedures and using the machinery, but do you just kind of know, could you, like if somebody had draped a, a cloth over the, the displays and you're piloting this massive thing, can you still tell what's going on? Does it give you that sort of sensory physical feedback? I mean, not to the extent that you're sitting there staring at a screen and you're, you're literally keeping position within two feet, but you can definitely feel the thrusters ramping up. You know, the bridge is usually on the bow of these things. You can, you can feel it on your feet. Um, occasionally, so especially if we get a hardcore current or big waves or something like that, where you know, there's gains, so you can tell the system how how quickly you want it to react. And if you have that reaction time too high or too too short, you know, so the gains are too high, you can feel that ship start like a what we call a thruster induced roll, and that just that just that ain't right. That feels super weird. And you're sitting there watching the bridge wings go, and it just gets like a sine wave. And so you have to like just do something to change the, the, uh, what we call the, the force vectors, you know, to where you, because it could keep going and you could keep, and you can feel that, um, certainly it's way different because stability wise, like when you're underway, you have a whole lot of weight up high when you're drilling on the ship. And that means it's going to roll the, the stability sort of decreases a little bit, um, not scarily so because we monitor that as well. Um, and we got all kinds of instrumentation plus just walking around on deck to see what the hell's going on. Um, so you, you can feel the roll, the difference in the way the ship rolls and, and when, you know, you have a bunch of drilling pipe up in the derrick, which the drill floor, the derrick starts from the drill floor and you know that drill floor is about at bridge level which is about 10 decks up so that's pretty high and you've got you've got 
five miles of drill pipe sitting on that drill floor. Each each stand is about each joint is about uh, depending on what um, on what kind it is. It can be anywhere from ninety to one hundred and forty five feet a piece. That's a lot of steel. You know, like five and a half, sometimes six and five eighths inch uh, drill pipe. So that adds a whole lot of weight, plus the, I call it the ship suspenders, because you've got these tensioners that kind of hold up the riser. There's a, there's a ring around it right in the moon pool, and it holds it up, you know, and it's got some bouncy to it. So it's either hydraulic or, um, well, it's always hydraulic, but there's different styles of them. So, so the ship can basically go up and down and turn around too, but that, stays the same so you're not twisting off or yanking off the stuff on the bottom of the seabed um so you can feel that you can definitely feel that you can feel underway it's a completely different feeling and because you have six of those thrusters like if you were on a cruise ship or on a regular tanker it would feel completely different it it it's a little bit more jerky instead of smooth and then when you're drilling because you've got that sort of semi-anchor it, it's a little bit smoother and then sometimes when the drill pipe gets stuck or you know a driller puts that long string of drill pipe in the in the rotary table too hard you can feel it, it feels just like i felt a hurt or a earthquake for the first time like a couple of years ago when i was in california it feels exactly like that everything just goes boop you know, real quick, and you're like, this is too big for it to do that. You can also see the ship flexing. It's meant to flex. So you've got different different areas where you can see the ship literally flexing, and that'll freak you out the first time you see it because it's, you know, you, maybe you've got like two, it's, it's sort of like a universal joint a little bit, and you can see it go like this, you know, just something that big or just a part that big, and you're, you're watching it flex, and you're like, uh, I mean, the, the, the hole's not, doesn't have that, but, you know, some, like, walkways and stuff like that have to be built so that there's some flex in it, and you can, you can see it go, rrr, 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 and you're like, man, that's weird. <laughs> First time I saw that, I was like, no way. That's freaking me out, man. So Okay, that last couple minutes totally made me nervous as you were describing all that stuff with the weight <laughs> and the flex and all that. I'm just sitting here getting... Not like a cold sweat, but just sort of like, I can't, as you're stacking all these responsibilities and all these things you have to be aware of, I was sitting here just getting just the most little bit nervous about hearing about all that stuff. I know, but And I don't get nervous about that. Like flying doesn't bother me, but I was hearing that going, oh, oh, then let's add in the ocean. <laughs> well, see, I'm about to, I'm about, to, I hope I'm, I don't ruin flying for you because you see the same thing in an airplane wings. Oh yeah. You see them, you see, especially on your bigger ones, you, you'll, you'll see them, they're kind of droopy. And then when they fly, they kind of, the tips kind of curve out. They have to be made flexible and same with the ship. It has to have some flex in it, but we watch those stresses and the sheer stresses and all kinds of stuff. I mean, on most drill ships, I've been on, that's been worse. That's been more of a concern than like the actual stability of the ship where you put things because once again, you have a great big hole in the middle of your ship. It's called a moon pool, which is never a good idea. And then you've got big Derek legs sitting on either side and then all this stuff right in the middle, lots and lots of weight. And so you, you've got all these ballast tanks around and, and so you've got to constantly, I mean, it's, you don't have to constantly watch it, but you, you, you need to monitor it because because when you start changing drilling operations or you start pulling the blowout preventers, you're done with the well or you have to run from a hurricane, you have to, you have to do some, some number crunching a little bit or just some moving some water around so that you don't have too little weight in the middle or too much weight in the middle. So, you know, they, they, they will sag. Any, a tanker will do that. You know, any ship will do that. It will sag and you'll see it. You can see it or they'll hog when they're light. So they'll, the bow and the stern is down, but the middle is up higher. I mean, in a, in a surprisingly large, I'm like feet, you know what I mean? It's, it's just weird. Yeah. So. All right. So the million dollar question, how did you end up in this career? 
Oh God, when I was a little girl, I wanted to train dolphin and play with them at SeaWorld. I came from the desert, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> years later, you know, and I, I, that's, I always wanted to be a marine biologist, you know, and I, I, had a, I had a really good experience in California when we took vacations from El Paso, that's where I grew up. And uh, just, I fell in love with the ocean. I just wanted to work on it. I guess because it was so different from where I was at, but you know, in a, in a series of missteps and false starts, you know, I, I ended up there were I was at, Te at Texas A&M Galveston, Galveston studying to be a marine biologist, and I had two opportunities one summer. One was to apply for a position at the Dolphin Research Center as a volunteer in Marathon Key, Florida. The other was as a, what they called a prep supervisor on the, the training ship that they had there because it's also the Texas Maritime Academy. And um, well, the volunteer position had two positions open and 4,500 applicants and you had to be on call 24 hours a day. So you essentially had to get a grant or have really rich parents and you had to have a 4.0, which at the time I didn't have. And um, you had to, you, and then, and then so, I applied for it anyways, but they kind of laughed at me, you know, cause I was going to go there and I was going to get a job and I was going to do that thing. And, and then I got this job as prep supervisor on the training ship. And, you know, basically it was as a galley worker kind of supervising the freshman cadets because everybody else was too busy to do it. I don't know, but I got to go all over the Caribbean that year. And I also learned what, a, what, a, what the maritime stuff is all about. And I got to see what they were doing and what they were practicing and, you know, in school, you're learning about celestial navigation because that's part of your test that you take to get your third mate's license. And that's like the coolest thing ever when you're, you know, 19 years old and, you know, and, and um, working with all the, I mean, this was an old vintage World War II ship that had a nice square bell like the Titanic and riveted plates and all of that. And it was just, she was just an old relic of, she was just super cool. And, um, I kind of, I was like, I don't do that. I don't want to be in $150,000 in debt so that I can make $30,000 a year and thank them for it. And I can be a marine biologist in my off time. So let's do that. Because I'm never going to get the job of training the dolphins at SeaWorld and then doing the shows with them. Because that was a four-year-old kid's dream. So this just, I just took to it. And then I, I switched over to being a Corps of Cadets and, uh, there at A&M Galveston, a maritime cadet, and oh God, did I love it. I just, it was just, it was awesome. So much fun. Got to see a lot of the world too. How were your sea legs when you first got on a ship? Oh, I got seasick. Totally got seasick. You know, and, and it's funny because I never truly outgrew it, although I don't, I don't feel as like I want to die like I used to, you know, I, I like, I can actually eat and stuff, you know, now it's just like sleepy. Um, but we, we, you know, when I, about this time last year, it actually was Halloween. It was the day of Halloween. I was going home and there was a cold front that came through and we were still at anchor on this one ship that I, the ship that I was last on, and we were just starting up a contract. So we were at a, a site not that far away, and everybody was too cheap to, to send out the helicopter. So we were taking this little bitty crew boat, and a front came through, and I, we, we literally broke that boat. I mean, it took us, what usually took eight or four hours to get back to the to the shore so we can get to the airport to go home. It took us about eight hours and it got big and everybody was losing their lunch. Every, but everybody, we were terrified. We were, we were navigating by our cell phones because we knew that once we got a cell phone signal that we were only 12 miles away from, from the nearest cell phone tower. <laughs> we were almost home, man, because that was not cool. So, yeah, I mean, but no, at first, yeah, I lost my lunch on a regular basis. And then so I just took Dramamine and it was fine. But um, I, I don't know why I stuck with it. <laughs> <through all that. laughs> 
<laughs> you know, 24 years later, and I can still honestly say, yeah, yeah, I can get seasick, you know, on a big old ship like that. It's, it's more like I'm just sleepy all the time. On that little boat with the big waves, I think it was more that we were scared. But yeah, that was, that was a rough eight hours. So, so in that eight hours, Christine, was that just uncomfortable or on a continuum? Was it from uncomfortable to terror? Like this is, you know, Davy Jones locker. Where did that fall? We didn't know because we're like, these crew boats have this area where they put all their passengers, you know, to take them offshore. Um, and, and it's, it's pounding, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's big. This crew boat was maybe, I want to say no more than a hundred feet long, maybe. And, uh, and, and so it's not that big and they're pounding, pounding, pounding. So you can't ever get comfortable and we're flying and we're, you know, and this is all the way there. So, okay. So it's, you know, and, and we hear some real booms coming, but the thing about it was, is that one of the crew members would come down from the bridge to get his captain a cup of coffee or something. And we hear all these alarms going. <laughs> 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 you know and you know for those of us who are used to answering alarms we're like what is that you know and and they never stopped the whole time once we started pounding so we weren't sure we just knew that we were very grateful to get back to the beach and that we literally that was the last voyage that boat ever took really <laughs> i mean there are a couple things going on with it I mean, I think one of the one of the engine bearings over here, I don't know what happened, but major, major uh, repair costs for this particular boat company, which was cut rate. And then, you know, COVID happened and we were already kind of just barely recovering from the last slump of that started 2014. And um, so they just didn't bother to fix it. They just, they just scrapped it. So after that, yeah. That was great. That was great. It's like, it's like trashing a rental yeah. car, turning it back in, going, "Hey, it was like this when I got it." <laughs> if you Five break a boat, you're doing your something. Fleet. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they were probably really happy that that happened, honestly. So, wow, I'm in the yeah. midst of reading uh, Unbroken um, about uh, um, Ernie Zamperini, who got shot down world war ii and drifted like two thousand miles and yeah. one of my favorite books is uh about ernest shackleton and getting oh, yeah. stuck in antarctica which i saw another documentary about his um chief mate his first officer and essentially as time has gone on the the story of their perseverance and endurance and survival is still amazing but yeah it was purely ego that put him into and Shackleton's ego that got him into that situation. And so, you know, even though like 12 miles offshore could be 2000 miles offshore, the ocean doesn't care. And so I was just fascinated by how bad was it on that crew boat? Duh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, you know, and, um, I mean, I've been, I, listen, I've been scared. I'm not ashamed to say that I've been absolutely scared. And, you know, I've been laid off and, you know, I was scrapping and scraping to stay in this industry. And uh, I had joined all these crewing agencies. You can get temp jobs and that's maybe a way back in, you know, and, and I had thought that it was, you know, surely, surely somebody, this is, this is how it works, right? This is how you get flapped upside the head with reality. Surely somebody wants somebody with 20 years of experience, right? I mean, come on, man. I'll do whatever it takes. No, if I were a captain, I wouldn't want me as a dynamic positioning operator or whatever. You know, I'd probably think that I would be a big pain in the booty, right? But I mean, I was, I would never be, but um, I, I certainly didn't, I, I don't take myself very seriously at all and I do what it takes. But anyways, uh, sorry, tangent. Um, but. Uh, yeah, no, I never had any ego other than like, come on, man. And, you know, with all these temp agencies, I finally got called up. I finally got a temp job. 
and with a good with a good drilling company and it wasn't going to be for very long but it was going to be and i knew the guy that that was the marine superintendent there he was an old friend of mine that i had known for quite a long time and um so well come to find out that this one drilling company had stacked these two drilling ships so stacked meaning idled rather than throw them out at anchor in just south of a place we called fushan port fushan which is actually i think the busiest port in the united states or used to be anyways where all the the offshore support vessels come and go and it's it's at the end of the earth in south louisiana so they'll put us out there at anchor when we're stacked until they take us until they make the ships go to trinidad or the grand the canary islands or something and just throw them there these guys had decided to go to uh ingleside texas right by corpus christi well harvey's coming right and you know these crewing agencies will call you and they're like yeah you know it should only harvey's not going to be anything big it wasn't even named at that point you know and i mean this is one of those cases where you get the call and two hours later you're on your way to the airport and so you can oh, oh, okay sorry do what you gotta do i didn't know i needed to stop so so come to find out that i get down there in ingleside and this thing has exploded into harvey not to mention that it takes so these ships are tied up they have retractable thrusters and um we're gonna be the ship that i'm going to to be a chief mate is the second one gonna that's gonna go it's gonna leave because they they need to get tugs and pilots and everything and then it takes a while to get out the ship channel and it takes a while to jack these thrusters down so that they can get underway. So by the time that I'm looking around going, we have less than 24 hours for Harvey to hit. And all right, we get out of there and the wind's already starting to clock around a little bit. And um, we that, that ship hadn't used its thrusters in like eight months, eight or nine months. We didn't know if they were gonna jack down if we weren't going to if they were going to work properly if they weren't going to just crap out you know with all the pounding so we got real lucky and harvey we were maybe 80 miles on the bad side of harvey and that was kind of scary that was kind of scary <laughs> and the reason i got that job is because everybody else said no now that job led to a lot more good temp jobs you know and, and they even trusted me to be in as captain as relief captain on some of those ships and they were great ships with great people so i was really happy um to get the work there but i basically had to have a hurricane and everybody else be scared to death of it and me just be completely ignorant if i had sat there and thought about it i'd been like no no i'm not gonna do that <laughs> you know i'm waking up at there i get woken up at four o'clock in the morning to untie the ship which is something i hadn't done in quite a while because we're always offshore we don't go into port with a bunch of people i've i don't even know their names and i've never met you know and we're untying the ship which is scary as enough as it is and and tying up the tugs which are going to drag us out there before we can get our into water deep enough to get our thrusters down and i'm like this is insane like why am i doing this and you're like ah oh, whatever let's just do it you know so we did and <laughs> it was fine and we had to run around and and um tie everything down because nobody had done that either and it was all this big rush rush job and they had to find crews because there was just one crew between the two ships so we didn't know what kind of maintenance was done on these things or, or what was going to happen and that's that's been the name of the game throughout this downturn since about 2014. everybody's shoestring budget you get on a stack rig getting ready to reactivate it and it is completely messed up you know in fact i went back to the, to the ship that i got laid off from and it used to be the cleanest ship we were told of course i might be a little bit biased but it was the cleanest ship in the fleet the best maintained this thing was a rust bucket. It was filthy. <laughs> power management stuff worked right. We had things, they were upgrading some stupid, really doing some stupid stuff. And, you know, none of it, none of it was working right. And I'm like, oh my God, what did you do to my ship? You know, and they're like, ah, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any people. And you're like, oh, okay. But that's kind of the name of the game these last, I'd say, five years. And it's gotten worse. They've learned how to do it better and they've gotten lucky. So unfortunately. Wow. 
it used to be so much fun. God, it used to be so much fun. We used to have a blast out there. And we didn't used to do stupid stuff, so. <laughs> That's a get off my lawn moment, right? <laughs> well, well, we'll save the stupid stuff for another day, but. Yeah, let's not <laughs> but, talk about the stupid stuff. We'll save that for beers. Um, yeah, definitely. The other thing I wanted to talk about was that so you're in the middle of a complete career transition, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so you know, part of the reason there's a couple of reasons I want to talk to you. Like I started out this this episode was that you're friends of Owen, and I thought your uh, your uh, merchant marine is it merchant marine experience? Is that the proper term? That's the proper term. I am a okay. licensed sailor. Yeah, in the merchant okay. marine. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was fascinating, but then also that you're definitely not the only person in, in the world going through this. That's a complete career transition and just wanted to explore that a little bit. What's that been like? Uh, very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I, you know, I need to, I, one of the main reasons I hired Owen was because all the people that I work with over the last, you know, quarter, like 25, 24 years don't live here. Maybe two or three do. Right. So, um, I need somebody who knows people because I know nobody and I can go ahead and apply to everything that I can find on any draw board anywhere. And I don't, that's, that's not going to be what gets it. So, um, with the COVID stuff, uh, it's a little bit harder to meet people. I've met, I met, two or three, you know, and, and how are they going to help and all of that? I'm not really sure. So I'm kind of learning the ropes on how this works, this networking thing works because I'm changing networks. I'm not, I'm not freaking out or, or all of that worried. It, it, it takes time, you know, and like I said, it's been very quiet. You know, I, I haven't heard much or had much luck with it, but I'm also exploring like owning my own business and real estate and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I have a little bit of time. I accidentally made some good choices financially. So I have a little bit of time to explore things, but I, this isn't a eat, pray, love kind of a thing. I'm not out there to find myself. You know, I've, I've, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I know what I'd like to do. You know, I, I, I and what is that? I would love to work in the beer industry with Molson Coors or anybody that would have me because the applied science of that is just the coolest in the world. I really, really, really dig that. Or even in this, in the distillery business, I would love to work in that business. Um, and I, I think I'd be good in the energy business. Um, when I say that, you know, I've been looking at a lot of power systems operator jobs because that's essentially exactly, exactly what we do on the ship. Cause we all, we also handle the power management system and there's been colleagues of mine that have gotten laid off that have gotten jobs like that at power companies up in new England and even in California. So I'm thinking, well, Colorado, I just, I just got to get my, my stuff translated because color, you know, they're maritime oriented on the east, the left and right coast. But, you know, here in Colorado, they're probably looking at me like, are you insane? No, we're not going to give you a job here. So I'm working on that. You know what I mean? What's an ocean? <laughs> yeah. Like we've got Boulder Reservoir over there. What's your problem? Like, what are you talking about? But so, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm sure there's more than a few people that have, certainly had experience on the ocean or even worked on the ocean, but they're probably not working for Excel or the Western area power administration or anything like that. So I'm working on getting inroads with them and any other ideas that anybody else has, I'm way open to hearing about it. And, uh, you know, I thought that getting my foot in the door as a safety, like as a, as a safety specialist or something like that would probably be the best way and that's kind of what I've been trying, you know, with cores and with not with Excel or WAPA, but with, you know, other companies around and even some energy companies around here. Although I'm scared of going to any energy company right now a little bit. 
Well, I would think that the situation you're facing is maybe not too dissimilar from someone in the military. Sure. Where there's um, just pages and pages of experience and skills and capabilities that if perhaps we're abstracted a little bit, you know, talk about being responsible and capable under pressure and things like that, where that would be incredible values for any employee, but it's probably that gap between thinking about you on a ship doing this and doing this in an office, right? Sure. So yeah, it's all, uh, like anything else, it's all the marketing, Christine. Right. <laughs> right. And that's why I got with Owen as myself, you know, I'm like, I don't know how to do this. So I think we're working in that direction, you know, but we'll see how it goes. Well, as, as someone that has been, oh, let me count as I've gone to school, I was a electrical engineer with a digital design background and a math minor did that for a couple years. And then I've been in the bike industry in technology sales and, you know, life is life takes the path of a butterfly, you know? And so, um, I've, I've felt exactly that sort of challenge. I did it earlier this year and I'm in that same situation now. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, man, what, and I don't, <laughs> what you talked about jumping on that ship with the hurricane, you know, that was like, eh, I did enough research. Like it's felt pretty good. And, <laughs> you know, not looking <laughs> at the details. <laughs> like, yeah. You and I make decisions pretty much about the same way. I'm like, right. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause you just, I just keep trying stuff. Just yeah. keep trying. And I get to the point where, yeah, keep trying it. And I get to the point where I'm reading through it, reading through it. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the high points. And then yeah. <laughs> you, know, you get like three, three days in, three weeks in, three months in. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that. But you know what? I've, I wouldn't trade any of this. I've had moments of just, you know, looking at the ceiling fan at two in the morning going, what? is going on but then again it's all led up to this point and it's been you know some adventures i would have maybe passed on but it's made me who i am and that's not trying to be so you know cheerleader rah rah but yeah it's kind of like how you handle the adversity i think is what defines you uh you're you're absolutely correct and it kind of makes me giggle to hear that you you kind of make you, you get me in other words and and again i don't mean to bring it back onto me and i'm i'm sorry that what happened to you happened to you because this is all about sucks. you though christine uh, well whatever <laughs> you know i i guess but um and i will owe you a beer eventually by the way for this when we am not under house arrest anymore or something like that but yeah i i wouldn't trade any of this stuff even my college you know all starts and everything every single thing i've done even the shore-based stuff at bp in houston i would i wouldn't trade it for the world and it, it always led me like i went to malaysia just a friend of mine said hey you want to go to malaysia and make a bunch of money for about a year until you figure out what you want to be when i when you grow up because it's definitely is not going to be working here at bp full-time you know and it was you just sort of jumped into it and you get there and they're like oh yeah you're the morning expert and you're like huh? And you just figure it out. And that's one of the cool things. Like you said, you were 52, right? Mm-hmm. And I then think. I, I, yeah. I, I just turned 50. And so I was thinking, well, I'm going to turn 50 and I'm going to be 50 and 50. What the, A, I don't feel 50. It's kind of like, I don't feel tardy. I don't feel 50. And B, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of nice to have gone through all of this and now I'm, I have chosen to go this path and I don't feel bad about it at all. I feel a little anxious because I'm like, well, you're going to have to start making a paycheck eventually. But, you know, I don't feel bad about it or regret it at all because, all right, yeah, uh, enough kind of a thing. When you're, when you're in your 50s, you can say, that's it. Here's what we're going to do now. Right. And I, one of my favorite quotes is that when the voyager is ready, the guide will appear. 
And I've been out of sync on both sides of that. Right. And I have told this story a couple of times that, um, the first three months I was working at Valley lab up in Boulder as a, you know, wet behind the ears engineer, there was a guy named Bill Kingston and just, I've tried to find him. And if anybody listening knows how to get a hold of him or where I could contact him, it was three months into this role. And I was an engineer and there was a marketing department for this um, electrosurgical company. He's like, you should come join my team. And I liked hanging out with the sales and marketing people because they were way more fun than the engineers. But at that point, I didn't have the confidence or learning how to learn or adapting to new skills. Right. And so um, I was the voyager and it just, the timing wasn't right for Bill to be my guide. And so that's where I ended up eventually, you know, eight, 10 years later, but um, there's no wasted experience in my opinion. Mm -mm. Not even a little bit. No way. There's there's some eye-opening aha moments and there's some moments that I look back on. And I'm like, oh, I'm pretty stupid about that, you know. And but <laughs> yeah, you're you're a hundred percent correct. Now I can't, I am not a kind of a person that can sit by and you know keep applying, keep taking real estate courses, keep looking into businesses to buy or whatever. I'm not I'm not the kind of person though that can just sit back and say, and it'll be all right. It'll work out because I, 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 I'll go nuts. I'll go absolutely nuts. And you, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, you make, you make your own luck, but then every once in a while, the universe throws a little bit of luck your way. Sometimes the universe throws a little bit of, you know, BS your way as well. But, you know, um, yeah, I, I can't sit idly by and let it, and let it happen. But at the same time, I can honestly say I'm where I need to be for sure. So, yep, I would totally um, agree. You know, um, I haven't made like one long-term, the only long-term goal that I ever reached, this might not be a good thing for prospective employers, but was that I wanted to be a captain of a ship. Everything else, I nothing else really worked out (laughs) but i i am way better off because of it way 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 better off because of it so goal setting determination persistence follow through i mean those are top line resume items in my opinion you know who who wouldn't want those characteristics in somebody on their team i don't know so they should hire me right now for something super cool (laughs) (laughs) i'll do whatever yeah I don't think I'm supposed to say that either, but I don't care. I just want to try something new. No, I've, I've taken, go ahead, go ahead. I said, I've been dropped in enough weird situations on brand new ships with people that don't even speak English and have just figured it out to know that I will figure it out. I can figure it out. You know, I've done it. I've done it a lot more than I care to admit, actually, probably embarrassing how many times I've had to do that, but I have figured it out. I will figure it out. Yeah. And I've gone into situations where I have felt a match for the company and the culture, maybe not even necessarily the role. And I said, I will push a broom. All I'm looking for is the opportunity. Just right. get me in and just let me pass the the velvet rope, you know, pass the, the bouncer and just all you need is a shot. That's all you right. need is one shot. Just a foot in the door. Well, uh, if anybody is listening that has the the need for a driven, adaptable, goal-oriented, <laughs> cool in a crisis individual, <laughs> um, please reach out to Christine. <laughs> she can handle a, a drilling ship. She can handle some uh, some things that are, you know, less catastrophic, you know, <laughs> risk management than that for sure. <laughs> I hope so. I do emergency management too, by the way. Well, there you go. You should have yeah. led with that. <laughs> I should have led with that. I got that certification, but not from FEMA. So whatever, but. All right. <laughs> well, Christine, this has been awesome. And uh, yeah, just the, the stories. And so please um, go through my LinkedIn. And if anybody um, 
is of value from an introduction, please, from here to the, the end of time, if I can ever help, let me know. Happy to do it. Well, and I don't know that I can help you in any way, shape, or form, but you right back at you. Thank you. I don't you. know anybody here in Thank Colorado, you. but anything I can do for sure. And I appreciate this a lot. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just thought it was, it, it lived up to my expectation. I just thought it'd be a Great. fascinating conversation and just finding another kindred spirit out in the world is always a good thing. I know. I thought we, we didn't think there, there were that, that there were that many of us out there, did we? <laughs> and you know listening to me talk nonstop about myself for sure but yeah like i said i owe you a beer for this one. Oh, my pleasure i will take you up on that but happy yeah. to do it <laughs> give me a couple weeks to make sure i'm like not going to kill you though with the rona <laughs> the rona <laughs> the rona well, Christine Hafen, thank you so much. I'm going to hit stop here and then we'll chat a bit, but thank you okay. so much. And I'll post a link to your LinkedIn profile when I share this. And I think you know this, but I'll just reinforce it. It all works out when it should. I think so too. Eventually. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple, Transistor, or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.